I'm Lisa Dale Miller. You're about to hear the first of two talks I gave at Marin Sangha in May of 2016. This first talk covers the Buddhist psychological concept of delusion, specifically deluded mind. Delusion, or primordial ignorance, is considered by all schools of Buddhist philosophy to be the main cause of all human suffering. So I don't know what the other teachers have been talking about for the last few months, but I know in my office there's been a lot of angst about delusion from people who don't even know <laughs> what delusion is. <laughs> it's been an ongoing theme. Um, I just came off of a retreat with Zukni Rinpoche, and it seemed like well, there was a lot of talk about delusion. <laughs> during the retreat. And yesterday, um, once a year, Anam Tuftin comes down to Insight Santa Cruz, which is a sister sangha. And he spent the whole day talking about delusion. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went home after the retreat. And, you know, I have all my Dharma talks up on iTunes and everywhere else and on my website. So it's really easy for me to just go in and, and look, you know, all the Dharma talks I've done over the years. Have I done a Dharma talk on delusion and non-delusion? And guess what? No! <laughs> Which is hard to believe, actually, since primordial ignorance, or avidya, is probably the one thing the Buddha most talked about. Then I remembered that a few years ago I wrote a scholarly clinical article on delusion and non-delusion. I pulled that out. This thing is dense, and I thought, you know, I'm, you know, you guys are so wonderful to me. You always let me teach two weeks in a row, so I get to be very luxurious. So we're going to do delusion tonight, and we're going to do non-delusion next Sunday night. So we have something to look forward to. <laughs> So I'm sorry, we're stuck with delusion tonight. No, no, hopefully we can free you of any unconsciousness you might have about what delusion is. So that during the week, you can notice delusion and, by the way, I guess I'll just reveal the secret. When you notice delusion, guess what? You're undeluded. Okay, we're done. You can all go home. You don't even have to come next week. Since it's so ubiquitous, I actually thought that we would start with a little conversation. Maybe there's some people here in the room that don't know what Buddhists mean when we say delusion. And unfortunately, like everything in Buddhism, when we say delusion, it's very complex. We mean many things. Oh, you're shaking your head. Yeah. So I thought that in order to make this a little simpler, I would have all of you tell me on a daily basis or even in the world right now where you can point your finger at delusion, something that you just hear, see, think about, or is happening for you in your own mind, in your life, out in the world, that you just know when it shows up, you're like, oh, that is just delusion. Okay. So let's hear. I'm sure this is going to be easy. Yes? To-do list. To-do list. <laughs> is delusion because? There might be five items for the day, and I'll be lucky to get two or three. 
Okay, so the to-do list is delusional to you because you can't figure out why if you're only going to do two or three, you can't just put two or three on there and feel really good at the end of the day because everything's crossed off your to-do list instead of five things. Okay, I love it. What else? Climate change is not man-made. Climate change is not man-made. Okay, I am actually bowing because you've just saved me <laughs> from having to go there. Yes. And when that shows up, what is the feeling you have when you hear climate change is not man-made? Uh, lots of feelings. Care to share even one? Anger, nausea, uh, frustration. Anger, nausea, frustration. Do, would you like to know if you have company in the room? <laughs> sure. Okay, anyone else? <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. So almost every single hand went up. Yes. That's like mass delusion in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's mass delusion. Yes. What's the difference between denial and delusion? Yeah, that is such a fantastic question. Here's a man who is not deluded. Uh, give us an example of what feels like delusion for you. I feel like the global climate, the climate change is denial more than delusion. Ah, I see. And you feel that it's denial because there's a reality which is being denied. Yes. So Whereas here, delusion for me is there's no reality to to that. Okay, I love it. That was the old DSM definition, by the way. Denial implies that there's something you know is true, but you're denying it. You just, you can't go there. You, you know it's true, but you can't go there. Delusion, well, you know, often there's a very strong sense that it is true, like climate change is not man-made. These people really do believe that's true. So it's not as though they think climate change is man-made, but they're just in denial of it. So I think that's one way to clarify the difference between denial and delusion. That it's, you know, that, that's going to be a, a point of stasis that's never going to change. I see. <laughs> so once you're happy, it will be permanent. Yeah. You will never be unhappy again. On the to-do list and the, you know. Yes. Okay, and actually that is a very classical Buddhist definition of delusion is permanence. Mm -hmm. The inability to recognize that all experience comes and goes, shifts and changes. So, yes, yes. Excellent. Okay, there was a woman in the back behind you, and then I'll come to you. Yes, you had your hand up. Yes. Uh, the sense that somehow we, are, we as a nation are entitled to to control such a large percentage of the planet's resources and power. So entitlement, yeah. our national addiction to the delusion of entitlement. Anybody else agree with that one? <laughs> oh yeah, all the hands are going up. Yes, another collective delusion. I like that. Okay. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. What's never enough? If I do five out of the five on the list, it's still not enough. Yeah. 
Or, yeah. you know, if yeah. I bring uh, this much food, it's not enough, I should... Yeah, it's just the, that relentless mind stream. Yes, that relentless mind stream. When I believe it. Yeah. That I'm supposed to be married or have kids by a certain age. Ah, yes. Cultural delusion. Yeah. Paternal delusion. Paternal delusion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, but what did he say? What he said was that I'm supposed to get married or have kids by a certain age. Cultural delusion. Yes. Yes. What? That's that's the second fetter, by the way, that the Buddha said. There are these ten fetters. You have to basically renounce and alleviate yourself from any clinging to. And the second one is cultural and familial conditioning. Yes, so you're right on the path. Good for you. Okay, yes, back there. I can change others. I can, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) And the room is going, ah. (laughs) Yes, good delusion. And you? I just think that um, with delusion, I don't really know that I've been deluded until after I become undeluded. Yes, and that is the beauty of non-delusion, is it feels like you've woken up out of a dream. We are collectively deluded that when we throw something away, that there's such a place as a Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you know it's called the ocean? Space. Yeah, so when we throw something away, there is somewhere to throw it away. Yes. I love all these collective delusions. This is great. You guys can just do my Dharma talk for me tonight. Mary? Um, to be white is normal. To be white is normal. Everything else, every other, you know, race, color, everything else is other. Other. Other, yes. The delusion of separation. Yes, and supremacy. Yes. Okay, there's someone way back there. Yes. You. Um, it's kind of touched on, but I'm thinking as soon as X happens, oh, fine. If only this, then I'll be. As soon as I have this, then I will be happy or content. Yes. That's that's primordial ignorance. Yeah. That there's some conditioned set of circumstances that I'm going to achieve, and that's it. Everything will be great from there on. Yeah. No, unsatisfactory. <laughs> Dukkha really gets in the way of that one. <laughs> okay, there's another. Yes. Uh, that I can prove my worthiness. That I can prove my worthiness. You know, that's the delusion that there is an intrinsic worthiness, right? Mm-hmm. That there is such a thing as unworthiness, which of course there is not. There is no such thing as unworthiness. So yes, that is a perfect example of a deluded mind. Wow. So how do you all feel about delusion now? A little clearer? (laughs) About delusion? No, really. No, I'm serious. No. Okay. So tell me a little about your confusion about delusion. I guess because I was trained as a therapist. Yes. And only certain people had delusions, and those yes. people were sick. Okay, well. And, um, and so, therefore, nice, healthy people like us um, don't have delusions. All right. Thank you so much, colleague. <laughs> I'm now going to go into my Dharma talk, unless somebody has 
any other phenomenal examples of delusion that they would like to? She had a question. You, you have one, okay. ISIS and its rigid interpretation of, of um, Islam and fundamental Christians who think their way is the only way. Okay, so thinking I have the answer, my way is the only way. Yes, yes, that's the delusion of separate. You know, it's interesting how we've, we've now sort of delineated categories almost. So there's collective delusion, there's cultural delusion, there's um, some kind of supremacist delusion, and there are separative delusions. And then there's just those basic human, and I really do mean basic human mistakes about the way things are, and so we have some faulty thinking. The new DSM came out, and there were many new things in the DSM, some of which my clinical colleagues didn't like, and some of which some of us were very happy about. And one of the things that changed in the DSM was the definition of delusion. I found it incredibly fascinating as somebody who is a supposed expert in Buddhist psychology, where, as you can see, Buddhism is very interested in delusion. And up until DSM-5, the Buddhist psychological definition of delusion and the DSM's definition were very different, as you have actually stated. The etiology of delusion has long been of interest to Western psychology, mostly because of disorders like schizophrenia and psychosis and other kinds of what they called psychotic or delusional disorders. But really, Western psychology has not been that interested in the causes of delusion until maybe the last 10 or 15 years when they really started to do neuroscience research on how delusions actually come about in the brain. So there's a lot of interest in it now. And that kind of research um, has led to the psychiatric community really changing their definition of delusion. Now, the revised definition of delusion blurs the distinction between delusions and internally generated irrational beliefs about oneself and one's world. And so far, everything that we've mentioned have been these irrational beliefs that people hold about themselves and the world. So I'm going to read you the new definition straight from the DSM. Delusions are fixed beliefs that are not amenable to change in light of conflicting evidence. I think climate change is a good example, yeah? The distinction between a delusion and a strongly held idea is sometimes difficult to make and depends in part on the degree of conviction with which the belief is held, despite clear or reasonable contradictory evidence regarding its veracity. Huh, that's what I said. It's quite amazing. You have to understand that before, delusion was basically hallucinating or a psychotic state. It sounds very enlightened, don't you think? That is clear thinking. Well, a whole lot of people in that case should be in therapy. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Honestly, they've opened up a can of worms here. 
The key here now is that delusions and delusional beliefs are no longer considered uniquely pathological. Digest that. And so, if I were to follow up on what you just posed as a problem that might show up with such a large definition, I could actually say that really the door has now been opened to say that awakening, waking up, is the ultimate, frankly, psychological cure here. And that's something anybody can do. You don't need therapy to awaken. That's the whole tenet of the Buddhist teachings. Once you've recognized, who said that? Once you've recognized delusion, you're undiluted. You've woken up. So, you know, it's a process that can be happening all the time. This updated definition parallels the traditional Buddhist psychological definition of delusion, and that definition is this. Delusion is fixed beliefs and persistent perceptual inaccuracies arising from conceptual elaboration, either automatic or intentional, about the self and world. So conceptual elaboration is, comes in many forms. When we elaborate conceptually, what it means is that we have an experience, something happens, and then we go into our concepts about what's happened. And then we start proliferating concepts about our experience. And while the mind is busy doing this conceptual spinning around the actuality of experience, we've lost the actual experience. Remember, the DSM definition said incontrovertible evidence. Incontrovertible evidence, you're not denying it. You basically are just that to you, it doesn't exist. Especially, again, with this global warming. If, yes. If I admit that it's so, it might undermine a lot of my life, that I'm actually participating, causing it, and financial stuff, and all of these other parts to it. So it, it's, it's got a lot of different parts to it. So that's very interesting, because in Buddhist philosophy... What the Buddha would say about that is that right livelihood is part of the Eightfold Path. And right effort and right livelihood are the tools, some of the tools that we use in order to be able to then shift how we are in our lives when we are undiluted, when we realize, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'm doing things that are contributing. And what can I do differently? And yes... I don't want to feel that guilt and shame if I let that in. So the idea is that that's a delusion. I, I frankly think this is a great way to do a Dharma talk is to come from your actual experience in your daily lives. Shame is a pro-social emotion. It is not a toxic emotion. Shame is what allows us to live tribally as collectively. We have to have some level of shame. Toxic shame is not shame. That is a narrative, which is a delusion about how bad the person is, 
And that narrative is generating a sense of unworthiness or shamefulness. But that's not the emotion of shame. Shame is, oh my gosh, I did something. I didn't know. I wasn't supposed to do that. I'm feeling embarrassed. I won't do that again. That's shame. So if people realize, oh, I didn't know that this is contributing, it's fine for them to feel a little embarrassment and to allow that to reorient their behavior so that they are behaving in a more aligned and life-affirming way. Guilt is not an emotion, by the way. Guilt is just, again, this ruminative, negative narrative. It doesn't go anywhere. It's not like regret or remorse. These are pro-social emotions that lead us to be able to change our behavior. If we've done something wrong and we feel regret, that's a very healing emotion. And it allows us maybe to atone for what we've done, which is also a very healing experience. And then maybe even to offer some kind of apology, which is also a healing experience. Guilt? Guilt is just some ruminative story about how terrible I am, and it never leads to anything. Delusion is being able to recognize the difference between faulty conceptual elaboration in the mind that is only coming from this deluded narrative of intrinsic badness. There is no such thing as intrinsic badness. It just isn't. But people feel bad a lot. And that's delusion. That's not recognizing the innate grace, the innate beauty of being a human being. And that's what Buddhism is about. Buddhism is about knowing things as they truly are. If guilt leads to regret, is it, it doesn't. Not, it doesn't. No. Like when, when I feel like I did something wrong, yes. I want to you know, make an apology or yes. make it right. But you can feel that without feeling guilty. You know, recognizing you've done something wrong and, and feeling in some way badly about it mm -hmm. is not guilt. Guilt is, I've done something wrong and I'm the most horrible person and I am just going to berate myself forever. I'm never going to make amends for it because I'm just so fixated on this spinning narrative of my guilt. That's not an emotion. It's a ruminative thought process. Remorse, regret, these are emotions, and they're beautiful emotions. They make us vulnerable, and they heal us. And they heal the people who we may have done something or who may have done something to us. This is why in Buddhism, compassion, compassion is a critical aspect of Buddhism. It's, you can't have wisdom without compassion. You can't have compassion without wisdom. Yeah? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking that. Thankfully, neuroscience has greatly expanded our understanding of the mechanics of delusions. Apparently, the brain maintains an internal set of what are called prior beliefs. And they're based largely upon our past experience. And these prior beliefs attitudinally inform propositions that we hold about ourselves in the world. And that makes sense, right? So you have past experience, 
and something happens, and then that becomes codified as some kind of belief about the way things are. Especially if you've had difficult circumstances, it's become chronic, that can radically alter the prior belief set that you're working from. Prior beliefs display degrees of fixity, but no matter how fixed a prior belief is, they actually are amenable to new experience. So what that means is, this is what we call in our profession a reparative experience. So even though you may for years have been holding some idea about your own relationality, when you are engaged in a therapeutic relationship, what can happen is the new experience can actually somehow shift and open your own capacity for another kind of relationality maybe you didn't grow up with. That's how therapy works, novel experience in relationship. That's what changes the brain. Our sensory and affective delusions appear to arise from impairments in the brain's belief evaluation system, specifically perceptual and cognitional deficits in hypothesis evaluation or predictive coding. This is why neuroscience has changed the definition of delusions, because we now know we all have these belief evaluation systems, and we know that we all have our perceptual and cognitive deficits. And these shift the way we code our experience, and we do code our experience. Our brains are very lazy. This is why we're constantly asking people to be mindful. Why are you not mindful? Because honestly, it's so much easier when sensory experience is coming in for the brain to go look in the six layers of the prefrontal cortex and go find all the past experience you've had and then feed out six times more information. This must be that, but you're not really paying attention to what it actually is. This is why we're teaching mindfulness so that the brain doesn't have to be so lazy. Just think right now in this moment, think how much sensory input is coming into your brain. It's incredible. So the brain has to be picky and choosy. And so being mindful is a way to let awareness reside. That's why when we did the meditation and I noticed the raging wind and I noticed the stillness and I thought, oh great. Let me bring their attention to these two things that are so contrary to each other that are happening simultaneously. And those are two things. Your prefrontal cortex can pull one and it can pull the other, but it would have some trouble experiencing them simultaneously from its own little bank. You, you have to come into what's actually happening in order to experience that, that incredible sensuality of the way the world actually is. It's so rich. It's so beautiful. And we all have the capacity. Non-dilution is that capacity. Not taking for granted what your brain is telling you is happening. Land in it and see what's really happening. When we're faced with highly uncertain or unusual or inexplicable events, and these things do happen, irrational beliefs or psychotic delusions actually do provide relief in the form of comforting explanations. This is true for people who are psychotic, but for me to return <laughs> to this ever-present delusion that I love so much, climate change is not human-made. You could 
in some way say that the clinging, the grasping, the holding on to that is a way to defend against the reality that we may have done this, but now it's out of control. And we may not be able to fix this. So sometimes delusions have a purpose like that. I can't wrap my mind around the fact that this thing may be totally out of our hands now. I can't wrap my mind around the dramatic effect of what human beings have done. Therefore, I'm just going to stay in this fixed delusion that it is not human-made. Does that make sense? So we can't always say that delusion is something we do in order to harm intentionally. We can unknowingly or knowingly be clinging to them to try to help ourselves. But of course, we're deluded in what help actually means. It says now we're getting to that territory where it could be denial, it could be delusion. Hard to tell, yeah? Intractable delusions are not irreparable. This is very, very important to realize, particularly when it comes to our brain, because neuroplasticity is a powerful partner in bringing about psychotherapeutic change, as I've said. I think we need to look a little more closely at perceptual inaccuracy, because that is where delusion comes from. Frankly, our brains have a penchant for prediction. We're prediction animals. That's how we survived on the savanna. You know, we were kind of small compared to everybody else. So we had to be very good at predicting what danger looked like and smelled like and felt like so that we would survive. But now, that apparatus is what we use all the time. We're continually predicting, predicting, but we're not very good at prediction. Our predictiveness distorts or impedes the accurate moment-to-moment reception of sensory information. In fact, one of the researchers in this area um, said perception is substantially constructive. And the Buddha said perception is substantially constructive. That's the entire Buddhist teachings right there in a nutshell. So you can see how close science is now getting to Buddhist psychology. It's actually very exciting. So the fact that humans don't readily recognize the constructed nature of self and world and continually misapprehend reality is, for Buddhist psychology, the underlying cause of delusion. That's what we call avidya. And avidya is translated as primordial ignorance. What are we primordially ignorant of? We are primordially ignorant of the actuality of phenomenal experience, the way phenomenal experience really is. So the Buddha tirelessly taught the constructed nature of perceiver and perceived in the teachings of interdependent co-arising, or Patichasamapada. His teachings on dependent origination and conditioned mind form a primary psychological description of the suffering caused by reality misapprehension. And that is the fundamental delusion that underlies almost all of the suffering you have all mentioned, and I would say all of the suffering that shows up in mental health professionals' offices every single day. The fundamental misapprehension of reality, the way things are. Using first-person contemplative research methods, which means looking within, the Buddha identified 
the sankaras, or what are called dispositional habits and drives. And these are these underlying seeds of our habit patterns that live in the unconscious. That when there's stimuli outside, and there's something that starts to sort of look and feel and smell like something we might have a problem with, often our habitual response habits start to show up. And that's what we act from. But we don't know that. We're coming up with all kinds of other stories about it. We don't know that there's something deep inside of us that is the source of that habit response. And usually it looks like reactivity. So the Buddha conjectured that even the most basic prior beliefs, and remember, neuroscience is calling these things prior beliefs, these ideas that are lodged very deep in our psyche that we're acting from. And the, the Buddha pointed to those. He said these exist, and they're called sankaras. And they're tainted by imperfect perception, that inability to recognize the way things are, and it just spawns higher and higher orders of perceptual automaticity and conceptual conditioning. And as I said, our brains are lazy, so we are often just acting out of automaticity and conditioning. Automaticity, conditioning. Okay, well, let's move on to my favorite delusion, the delusion I love talking about so much, which is self-grasping, which, of course, is the main form of delusion the Buddha talked about. So you know you have a body sitting in a chair right now, yeah? And you know that body is you. That's ipsity. That's your basic sense of selfhood. That can often be very distorted in people with schizophrenia. But this is what we call, especially in Buddhist psychology, we call this the minimal I. I, as in me. I, not E-Y-E. And so this minimal I is never diluted. That minimal I cannot be diluted. Your body knows it's a body sitting in a chair. It's never, ever, ever, it never not knows that there's a body sitting in a chair. So in some ways, um, this part of you is already awakened. I mean, just try to wrap your mind around that. Embodied presence is already awakened. It's already in your experience as it actually is. Now you have a translator called a brain, which is conceptually elaborating about the body's experience. And for the most part, people are not actually in their bodily experience, even though it's easy to get in there. Um, that's not what most people experience. Most people experience their narration about bodily experience. That's delusion. And it's very important to remember that Buddhist psychological theory, especially the theory of not-self, asserts the necessity of minimal eye subjectivity. The Buddha never said there isn't a person here. The Buddha said there isn't a separate existing self. That's not-self. But the Buddha did not say, oh, I'm sorry, you're here, but you're not actually here. You're here. You exist in a body. As I've already mentioned, our internal expectations alter our organs of perception. 
So these prior beliefs, they alter the way you perceive your experience, your internal experience as well as your external experience. That's delusion. That's the alteration right there. And the alteration happens at such a deep level in your conceptual processing, it happens right after contact, right after you've actually contacted the phenomena itself, immediately the part of the brain that is conceptualizing about phenomena kicks in. In between contact and conceptualization is this 90% of what's happening in you. Only 10% is conscious. Everything else is run by your unconscious. Like you, you have, we have massive zombie systems that run everything for us. We have, and they're wired up and networked up. And at a certain point, when all these zombie systems get to a threshold, suddenly you have consciousness. You have a self-perceiver. It appears this is the way consciousness arises. We're not sure, but this is, appears to be this way. So 90% of what you are doing, experiencing, happens under the hood. It's that 10% that causes delusion. <laughs> the 10% conceptualizing about what's already happened in your unconscious is the problem. So our inaccurate expectations distort our real-time perception. And they obscure the constructed nature of self and world. So what that means is we don't see how everything is continually being constructed all the time. We don't experience it that way unless we pay attention. And if we pay attention, we see, oh my gosh, there's this continually shifting inner landscape, there's continually shifting experience. If I really try to go find me, I have trouble finding a me in there because me is just made up of all this continually shifting internal and external experience. That's all not-self means, frankly, is that I can't say I exist independently from everything else. And I can't actually say that there's a self in there. There really isn't. Even neuroscience can't find a self, honestly. It's just a construction. And this is the way neuroscience conceives of self. It's just constructed. So the Buddha was on this a long, long time ago. And because we don't perceive everything as being continually constructed, we get very fixed in our delusion of permanence and fixity. And so we don't see everything as able to be changeable. We have a very limited notion of what we are and who we are, what the world is and what the world can be. It's all very fixed for us. That's delusion. That's primordial ignorance. When you're angry, I think you said you were angry. <laughs> Anger is one of the emotions that comes up when you think about climate change has not been made. You usually <coughs> say, I feel so angry, right? I think we all say, I feel angry. In fact, that's an inaccurate representation of what's really going on when we feel angry. So the accurate representation of it is there's internal and external phenomena occurring in the system that's arising, and there is the experience of anger. That is accurate. So the difference between I'm angry 
And there's a collection of phenomena occurring right now, which is giving rise to the feeling of anger, is the difference between self and not self. This is the difference between being deluded and undiluted. I am angry is deluded. It's not recognizing the nature of what's actually occurring. Right now, the feeling of anger is here, is undiluted. There's no self there to cling and grasp at these are my feelings and this is so horrible and that's all conceptual elaboration. Anger here is something you can actually care for. What we're going to do next week is we're going to go down the road of what would it look like to be able to be undiluted in any moment of your life no matter what's going on. How do you actually wake up and free yourself from the fixity and the basic ignorance causes us to get lost in the idea that any of this is happening to an actual, substantive, separate self that takes it all very personally. How do we land in what's actually occurring and deeply care for what's occurring and allow what's occurring to come and go, as it will, because everything is impermanent, especially emotions, they only last 10 seconds. Have it come, have it go, have whatever else come up afterwards, and be able to be skillful in the act of waking up. So that's what we're gonna do next week, is non-delusion. Because you can only talk about delusion for so long, right? <laughs> doesn't help to keep talking about delusion. I also want to say thank you so much for being um, so participatory in this. I could not have done this without you, and it was much, much better for everything you contributed. <laughs>